If you have your Bible today, I wish you would open it to the book of Revelation, chapter number 22. I'm super excited that we are getting back into our study of heaven. We took a little break from that in January to deal with some other topics, but this morning we are getting back to our study of heaven, and the thing I'm excited about uh, about this study is that when we think about heaven, it affects our lives here on earth. In other words, there's something about thinking about heaven that helps us to see our problems and circumstances and situations in life more clearly. Last week, I did a sermon, a message on fasting. And I said then that when we fast, whether it's from food or whether it's from the media or whether it's from something else, there's something about fasting that helps us to clear our thinking out and see things uh, from a better perspective. Well, thinking about heaven has the exact same perspective on us. When we focus on heaven, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we read something about heaven and we think, well, that's going to be great. One day we're going to be in heaven. But did you know that God has given us all the teachings in Scripture about heaven, not just to satisfy our curiosity, not just for the purpose of information, but for the purpose of transformation so that we would look at life differently. Let me give this example. Let's just play like, here we are in February now. Let's play like in July that we're going to take a month's vacation, all of us, off of work for one month, and we're going to go to Hawaii, and we're going to stay on the island of Maui for one month. Isn't that a good way to look at that? And so we're going to be there on the beach, beautiful view, beautiful room, we're sleeping late, we're eating the breakfast buffet, we're going to sit out on the beach during the day, we're going to get really sunburned, bad, I mean really bad sunburn out there just looking at all the waves and enjoying that. At night, we're going to go to a luau, and then we're going to do that for 30 days, 30 sunburns, 30 luau's. We're going to gain 30 pounds while we're out there, but that's what we're going to do in July. Now, even though that's not happening until July, if we knew that was coming, here we are in February, and it would help us now to know in July we're going to Maui. No work for a month, no responsibilities for a month. We're going to be on that beautiful island for one month. That's what's around the corner for us. Friend, let me say to you today, if you are saved, there's something better around the corner from you than Maui, and that is heaven. And God has told us about heaven in the Bible so that as we live through life on earth, we can keep in mind that this life is not all that there is. There's more to life than this life. There's more to life than what we can see and hear. Just above us, on the other side of the sky, today is a beautiful day. In a few minutes when we get in our cars to go home, we should look up at that blue sky and we should be reminded on the other side of that sky, there's a city. There's a place. It's a place where God lives. Jesus is there. The angels are there. People in the Bible are there. We have family members and friends who are there. It is heaven. And just like life on earth is very real, life on in heaven is very real. And so thinking about heaven helps us to see life more clearly. To remember that even we're going through hard times, even though things can get tough sometimes, we remember, yes, but it's not going to be too long till we will be in heaven and all these problems will be over. Now, there are a couple of verses I want to give you before we get into Revelation this morning. In Romans chapter 8, there's a verse that I memorized years ago out of the New King James, and in the New King James Bible, it says it this way. Paul said that the sufferings of this present age 
are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. But look how the living Bible says it so much simpler and so much cleaner than that. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. What we suffered now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. And so problems, difficulties, sufferings in this life, it's nothing compared to how wonderful heaven will be. And then there's another verse, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. I learned it in the, in the New King James. It says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. But look at it in the Living Bible. Colossians 3, 2 is a tremendous verse. Let heaven fill your thoughts Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. And so the Bible is telling us if we will fill our mind with thoughts of heaven, if we'll remind ourselves this is not it, we're going somewhere else, we're only here for a little while, and we will get to heaven, and we will be there, and all of our problems will be over. But the question is, what are we going to do when we get there? You have family members and friends right now in heaven, and so do I. What are they doing up there? Well, we've spent several weeks answering that question. We know the best thing that they are doing and the best thing we'll do when we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus face to face. That's going to be unbelievable. Not only that, his name will be written across our forehead. And so we're going to be reunited with our family members and friends. We're going to meet I was talking to a minister friend yesterday. He said, John, when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Abraham, and we're going to meet these other Bible characters that we've read about, but we're going to meet them and talk to them and learn more about what their life was like on earth. But one of the things that we're going to do when we get to heaven is that we're going to serve God, and and we're going to read that in just a moment. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, we're going to reign with Christ, and we're going to serve God. Him. Now, what does it mean that we're going to reign with Christ? Well, remember this. In heaven, Jesus is the king. And just like kings and presidents have their cabinet, their cabinets on earth, and they place people in those positions, and those people have specific responsibilities, when we get to heaven, King Jesus will have a cabinet. And we're going to be in that cabinet, and we're going to have responsibilities to serve him once we get to heaven. But the thing I want us to really get in our minds this morning, our service of God in heaven will be directly related to our faithfulness to God on earth. In other words, if we have been faithful to God while we were on the earth, and that's what this message today is going to be about, when we get to heaven, God is going to say, you were faithful on earth with the responsibilities I gave you, no matter how small they seemed. And so now you're in heaven. I'm going to give you bigger responsibilities. I'm going to give you greater things to do. Look at this verse. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, Jesus had told a parable about heaven. And he says, now, if we've been faithful with the little things, that when we get to heaven, here's what he's going to say to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And so if we've been faithful down here, our assignments, our responsibilities will be greater in heaven than they otherwise would have been. So that said, let's look in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And John now, the apostle, is having this vision of heaven. An angel is showing him around. And it says, he, that is the angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, 
clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Now watch this. And His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We're going to be in His cabinet. And we're going to have responsibilities. And in heaven, one of the things we're going to do is that we're going to serve God. Now, the question is, well, how are we going to serve God? I mean, what, what does God possibly need that we could give Him? Well, we know that one of the ways we'll serve Him is through our worship, through our praise. The first half of this service today was spent serving God in that way. God will give us other things to do. I know that some people believe, and I disagree with them, but there's some who believe that when we get to heaven, God is going to give us assignments to go to other planets, Mars or Pluto or Venus or some of these places, and they, they think that there are people living on those planets. And after we've been in heaven for a while, Jesus is going to say to us, John, you go to Mars, and then this one, you go to, you go to Pluto and and tell the people living there how they can be saved. Now, it may be just may, me, and maybe all of you disagree with me. The reason I disagree with that, I don't believe anybody's living on Mars. That's just me personally. I, don't, I just don't think anybody's there. I'm sure one day we'll spend a billion dollars and confirm my hypothesis, but I just don't think anybody's living on Mars. And I can't find anything in the Bible that once we get to heaven, we're going to leave heaven. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we're going to be with the Lord forever. And so I don't think we'll be in heaven and then he'll send us somewhere else. I mean, once we're there, we're there. So our service of God will be worship and praise and other things that we don't know what God might ask us to do. But what I'm wanting us to think about today is not so much what will we do, but how will God determine what it is that we will do. And remember what I said, our assignments in heaven are de will be dependent on our faithfulness down here on earth. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes, I want to ask you three questions today that are broad questions, but I think they will help us to, to get to thinking about this in the right way, because when we one day stand before Christ in judgment, these are the types of things He's going to judge us on. These are the things that will determine what we do when we get to heaven. So let's just play like, and this is a kind of a morbid thought, but let's just play like our lives are going to end today. And before this day's over, we're standing face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven. And He is doing a review of our lives from when we were young all the way up until today. And He's judging us based on how faithfully we have lived our lives because our faithfulness here determines our responsibilities up there. So these three questions will help us to know. So what I'm saying to you today, no matter how old you are, if you're 25, if you're 50, if you're 15, if you're 75, whatever your age is, as you look back on your life up until today, how would you answer these questions? Question number one, have you been faithful to the great commandment? Have you been great, faithful to the great commandment? Now, turn back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, 
the very first book in the New Testament, chapter number 22. And I want us to see what I'm talking about here, the great commandment, because one of the things that God will judge us on is how faithful we have been to this. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, Pharisees and Sadducees, two different religious groups in Jesus' day. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, what made that a good question is there are a lot of commandments in the law. In the Old Testament, which is the only Bible they had in New Testament times, of course, there, there are 613 laws, and they cover everything from what kind of food you should eat to relationships, money management, how you treat people, uh, coveting, stealing, adultery, all these murder, everything is included in these 613 laws. And so this lawyer says to Jesus, of all those 613 laws, which one is the most important? And so Jesus answered his question in verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, he said, is the first and great commandment. And so Jesus said, yes, all these commandments are important, but if you can just get the first one down, to love God with all of your heart, you're going to keep the other commandments automatically. Because if you love God, you're going to want to honor Him in all these other ways. And so the question is, for us to all think about, if your life ended today, how faithfully have you kept the great commandment? Let me ask the question another way. Is there anything in your life that you love more than God. You know, we know that God has a serious problem with idolatry. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is when we put anything above God. Anything that we think about more than we think about God is idolatry. Because if we think about something more than we think about God, that means that thing or that person is more important to us than God. And anything could, could become an idol for us. Our jobs, our bank accounts could be an idol. A boat that you just bought, that could be an idol. It might not be, but it could be if that's more important to you than God. Uh, politics, that could be an idol if you are more obsessed with politics than you are with God. You, and, and our world, our country seems to be kind of in that state right now. There's just, there's an obsession with politics. And, and I'm fascinated by it as well. But when we spend more time thinking about any of those things than we do thinking about God, we're in a dangerous place because it's, it's possible that that has become an idol in our life. Think about what the Ten Commandments say. The very first commandment, the first of the ten. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm saying to you, anything that we think about, love more, or, uh, or are more obsessed with than God is an idol to us. Now, let me stop and just slow this down because I don't think we think much about ourselves being you know, guilty of idolatry. We, we think about idolatry as being an Old Testament t thing where People worshipped other gods. They had statues, and they, they, they had all these images of other gods, and they went and bowed down to these other gods. And, and we think, well, that's idolatry. There's no way that, that I'm guilty of idolatry. And yet in our day, idolatry is just as rampant as it was then. It just looks different now than, than what it did back then. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in the last year as we've been going through this COVID-19 pandemic is that COVID-19 is a multifaceted situation. 
And certainly the most serious part of it is people who get severely ill and die from it. And some of you today, we've had uh, members in church today who have lost family members from COVID. We have members, faithful members in our hospital right now. Uh, one, yesterday I was getting texts from his daughter. She's bringing me up to date. He had to be taken by ambulance to a hospital. His oxygen level dropped low. It's a very, very serious situation. So for the hundreds of thousands of people who have died and for the millions of people around the world who have lost people to COVID, you know, the most important part of this whole deal is that. It is the death part. But COVID-19 has other aspects to it other than just that. For example, who would have thought a year ago that we would all be wearing masks to go to a grocery store. If you would have told me last February, hey, John, in a month and a half, you're going to be wearing a mask to go to the grocery store. I'd have thought you'd lost your mind. I, I just wouldn't believe that. It has changed it. Who would have thought a year ago if, that we, if somebody would have said, hey, in just a few weeks, there will be no people in the church, and eventually you'll start coming back, and you'll be happy to have 40% of your normal crowd in the room because most everybody else is, is, will still be watching at home. No, none of us would have thought that. So COVID has lots of things. You know, one of the things that I think was actually a positive of a terrible thing back in March, April, May, June, I think COVID, when it first started, it slowed all of our lives down. And you heard about families eating meals together at night. And you, you just sense that we were all kind of reprioritizing our lives and, and trying to get things back in a, in a, better, in a better order and, and get things in. So that, that was a positive in the midst of a negative. But one of the things, though, that has been interesting to me about COVID is in the world of sports, and since tonight is the Super Bowl and Tom Brady is going to win ring number seven tonight, that's right, or either Patrick Mahomes will win number two. One's going to happen. If somebody would have told us a year ago, hey, next year in the Super Bowl, it'll be in Tampa, and there are going to be 22,000 people watching the game. There should be 80-something thousand people in that stadium tonight. There'll be 22,000 people. 22,000 people, that's like, a, that's like a small college. That's like a high school playoff game. 22,000 people at the Super Bowl. Yes, and the people who are there will get their tickets free. They're going to be healthcare workers who've already been vaccinated, so they can't worry about getting the virus from anybody. So that's who's going to be at the Super Bowl. We would have said, you've lost your mind. Here's my question. As we think about the sports world, stadiums empty for the most of the season in all the, I mean, the whole NBA finals, the stadium was empty. Now, and you've seen what's happening in football. Here's the question. What does God think about that? How does God feel about empty stadiums? How about in New York, Broadway? All those theaters up there that have been closed for a year, that before they were closed, every night of the week, they were packed out, actors performing, standing ovations being received, people asking for autographs after the deal, and now it's shut down. The lights are off, the doors are closed, the actors are home, nobody's applauding them, nobody's asking for their autograph. All year long, these NFL players, NBA players, Major League Baseball players, in and out of the stadium, nobody there to applaud them, nobody asking for their autograph. My question is, how does God feel about that? Well, it may be that God doesn't care one way or the other. 
the honest answer to that. It may be that God just says, it, you know, per, for me personally, I don't care if the stadium is full or empty or 22,000 people. That's just, not, that's just not an issue with me. It may be that God looks at that, and we know that God is tender and compassionate, and it breaks, I think, everything about COVID breaks God's heart. But even with that, it may break God's heart when he looks at that and thinks, because of what is happening on the world, people can't even go to watch a ball game. So God may look at it that way. But did you know there's a possibility when God looks at this, God says, well, in the midst of a terrible tragedy that's happening down there, people sick, people dying, things happening in the midst of it, one of the positives God might say from my perspective is, I'm not seeing as much idolatry on the earth that I saw before the pandemic. You see, when a person goes to a stadium and, or to a theater and cheers that athlete, or cheers that actor, or cheers that singer, or cheers that performance, that person is not necessarily guilty of idolatry. I've been to all those places, and I've cheered all those people. I wasn't worshiping those people, but did you know the odds are that some people when they go to the stadium, when they go to the theater, when they go to watch a play or to hear someone sing, for them, it is idolatry. They put this person up on such a pedestal and they say, man, I idolize that person. You see, in the human heart, there is a desire to worship something greater than ourselves. And so certainly not everybody at the ball game is guilty of idolatry. But my question is this, could it be that some people are? And how about the other side of that coin? How about the athletes, the singers, the actors who are receiving the applause, who are getting the standing ovations, who are being asked to sign autographs? How about those people? Here's the question. Is it possible that in any of their hearts and minds, all of that has gone to their head and there's pride and they like it? They like the cameras. They like the attention. They like the applause. They like walking down the street and everybody knowing their name. And so for them, they're not the one worshiping others, but they're the ones who are enjoying being worshiped. And my question to you is, is it possible, based on that premise, that God looks down from heaven and God says, it's a terrible thing that's happened, but in every negative there's a positive, and one positive is people are learning not to worship other people. But you know, it's easy for me as a preacher to stand up here and talk about sports and the theater and, and Broadway or Hollywood, entertainment. But you know, even in the church, I'm very concerned. And I have said this multiple times in the last few years. One of my concerns in the church today, I'm talking about the church generally, is that just like the sports world wants people to worship, even in the church world, listen, we have made Christian ministers, Christian preachers, Christian singers, Christian worship leaders, we have turned these people into some kind of an idol. And what we have seen in, in the last 20 years in American Christianity is some kind of a form of celebrity Christianity. Celebrity Christianity. And it's like, what did you see that preacher? Or do you see, if you've been to his church or if you've been with him when he's leading worship or have you heard her sing? It's celebrity Christianity. And even those of us in the church who know better, who love God, if we would think about what I'm saying, in many cases, we are elevating Christian leaders to the position that only God himself should have. Friend, listen closely to me. In Christianity, there is only one celebrity, and he spells his name J. E-S-U-S. -S. Jesus is the star of this show. 
Jesus is. And even Jesus, when he came to earth, he didn't act like a celebrity. He was God. Jesus said, I've come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And he commanded us to be servants. But we don't want to be servants. We want people to say we're servants. But we want, see, I think, now this is just me. I'm a preacher, so I can even talk more openly about the preacher world than I can the other world. I think it's actually, there's been a, there's been a sense in which it's positive that the churches aren't full. I think those 19 weeks when we were having to preach sermons to an empty room, not just here, but preachers all over America, you know what? I think there's something positive about that because you know what it is? It's humbling to a preacher. It's humbling to come into a room and there's nobody there. And even now we're coming back and it looks like, you know, the crowds in December, they were getting more. And then after Christmas, the virus got worse. And so people who were coming, now they're back online. They say, I don't want to get the virus. But when the number surge goes down, I'll start coming back. And so here we are with 40, 35 to 40% of our crowd thrilled to have that. But what I'm saying is there's a sense in which that's good. Because what that says to the preacher is, it's not all about how many people are in the room. Let me ask you a question. When a church is growing and, and the room is packed and, and, and pe- you know, all these great things are happening, here's the question. Who's getting the glory for that, God or the preacher? Well, we would say, well, it's God. You know, it's, of course, we give all the glory to God. Yes, yeah, all glory to God until the pastors get together on Monday at their pastor's conference and start telling everybody how many they had in the church the other day. I think what God is saying to preachers, listen, you don't preach because the room is full. You don't preach to gain the approval of others. You preach because I've called you to preach. Full room, empty room, 35% room. It's not the people's approval you're seeking. It is my approval that you're seeking. And one of the positive out of this, I'm humbling my preachers all across the land because I'm reminding them it's not about how many people. It's about faithfulness to the Word, and it's about faithfulness to me, and it's an opportunity to keep things in perspective. And so the question, I spent a lot of time on that. The question is, are you faithful to the great commandment? Do you love God more than you love anything else? Question number two, I think God will ask us this. He may not ask the question, but He's going to judge us based on this. Have you been faithful, not only to the great commandment, have you been faithful to the golden rule? Look in the next part of this passage in verse 39, Jesus said, and the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's technically not the golden rule. The golden rule is in Matthew 7, 12 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. But here, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he's saying the same thing in a different way. And so we have to ask ourselves, right now, in this COVID world in which we're living, as we're making decisions, as we're interacting with others, are we making decisions based on what is best for us? Or are we making decisions on what is best for other people? We had a lady in the first service who just celebrated her 90th birthday. This is a good example of putting other people above yourself. And she celebrated it a few weeks ago, but she was unable to be here because she had COVID. 90 years old, and she got COVID. Well, thankfully, she got over it, and she healed up. And so she was testing negative for COVID, but she was still coughing. And she said all of her friends, of course, knew she had COVID. And she said to us, she said, you know what? I probably could have come back a week or two later, but since I was coughing, I didn't want to scare everybody, so I just tried to stay at home. I decided to stay at home. 
And I thought, well, you know, if you think about modern-day practical application, golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that's not a bad example. That's a pretty good example. And then the third question, quickly. Jesus is going to judge us and, and ask us this. Have you been faithful to the great commission? Now, you're in Matthew chapter 22. Look in chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission, right? Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's fixing to go back to heaven and return to his Father. And notice what he says to his disciples before he leaves. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, you've been with me for three years. You've seen me heal the blind, raise the dead to life, people that are paralyzed. I, I, I enable them to walk. I did a miracle in their body. You saw me die on that cross. You saw them put me in that tomb. And you know that I have been resurrected up out of that grave. You have seen it all. So what I want you to do, Matthew, and Thomas, and Nathaniel, and Peter, and James, and John, and Andrew, what I want you to do now is to take this gospel message all over the world. This one, you go here. You go to India. Thomas, you go here, Andrew, and you go all over the world telling people that God loves them and that I have died on that cross to pay for their sins. I was buried. Three days later, I came up out of the, life, out of the grave. I've conquered the grave. You get that message all over the world. Think about it. We're several, many thousand miles today from the Mount of Olives where Jesus gave that instruction 2,000 years ago. And yet, because these people were faithful with the Great Commission, to share with others what Christ had done for them. Here we are in Pasadena, Texas. There wasn't even a Pasadena, Texas 2,000 years ago. And yet here we are sitting in a house of worship, singing and praising God, studying our Bibles. Why? Because they were faithful to the Great Commission to do what God had called them to do. And so I think Jesus, as he determines what our responsibilities and assignments in heaven will be, part of that will be based on how faithful we have been to the Great Commission. So but before I get into an example here, let me just ask this question. How faithful would you say you have been? If you li life ended today, you're looking back on it. How faithful have you been to tell other people, friends, neighbors, coworkers, people you go to school with, family members. How faithful have you been to tell other people about Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, back in December, I was thinking about this one day at home, and I just got convicted. And I thought, God, really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters, is whether or not somebody was saved. And I thought, God, I mean, I surrendered my life into the ministry in 1988. I was 18 years old, and I knew God had called me to preach. I already made that commitment. And, and, but I just recommitted myself in December at home. And I said, God, I've already signed up for the ministry. I'm in it deep, and I'm glad and grateful. But, God, I want to make a fresh commitment at this point in my life to say, for the remainder of my life, whatever ministry I do, I want the heart of it and the focus of it to be helping people come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Because when it's all said and done, that's really the only thing that matters. I'll tell you when this was reminded, when I, I had a fresh reminder of this about a week ago. I want to tell you about a man today that none of you know, but he is a very special person in my life. His name is Fred Lewis, and I want us to put his picture on the screens because they always say a, a picture is worth a thousand words, and that's Fred. Fred and his wife, Linda, have two kids, 
And earlier in life, Fred went to Baylor University. Then he went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And then after that, he moved to Michigan. And for years, he pastored two small churches at the same time. And in addition to that, he worked at a school as an administrator. So he had three jobs. Years go by, and providentially, he ends up leaving Michigan, moving, he and his family moved to Tennessee, and he became the principal of a little elementary school there in a little town called Lenore City, Tennessee, called Nichols Elementary School, which was where my brother and I went to school when we were kids. And so Fred was our principal. Back in those days, he wasn't Fred to us. He was Mr. Lewis, and he was our principal. He and his family joined First Baptist Church in Lenore City where my dad pastored. Our families became friends. In the early 80s, my dad left Tennessee to go to Sulphur Springs, Texas to pastor First Baptist Church there. And when he, before he left, he talked to Fred Lewis and he said, Fred, you can serve God as a preacher. You can serve God in school. You can serve God anyway. But would you have any openness to leaving schoolwork? Do you feel any leading of God to get back into church work? Because if so, I'd like for you to come to Texas with me and, and, and be on the staff. Fred and Linda prayed about that. They did moved to East Texas, and for 40 years, almost 40 years, or maybe right at 40 years, he served the staff of that church as the, as the associate pastor. One of the godliest people I've ever known in my whole life. When you think about a true servant of God, it's Fred Lewis. Hospital visits, nursing home visits, calling people on the phone to encourage. One of my best friends from high school, a guy that I stay in touch with now, more than anybody I grew up with, he and I talk regularly. He said, John, when I went to college and when I went to law school, he said, now just think about this. He said, Fred Lewis wrote me a letter every week. Every week. People's parents are not writing them letters every week. This man is that dedicated to what God called him to do. For years there at First Baptist, he has called every single member on the telephone on their birthday. Now, First Baptist Silver Springs probably has about 3,000 members, and so that would come out to about nine phone calls a day, and to, which is a wonderful ministry. Like, to me, that would completely overwhelm me because I get overwhelmed easily if I have something. Like, if I woke up today and said, okay, today I've got to prepare a sermon, I've got to preach a funeral, and I've got to have a meeting, and before I do any of that, I'm supposed to make 10 phone calls. Like for me, on the one hand, I would love making the calls because I like to talk to people. But on the other hand, I don't think I would ever get my other job done. It would be completely overwhelming to me. But he did that every day of his life. The weekends too. I mean, you know, people have birthdays on Saturdays, Sundays. You're never off. He's always calling people. It would overwhelm me. So let me just say to you today at the beginning of this year, I know you're going to have a birthday sometime before the year's over. And I want to wish each one of you a very happy birthday. Okay, right here. I'm not as good as Fred Lewis. He would call you. I want to call you, but I would just overwhelm me, that number of calls. Fred's a godly man. About 35 years ago, my dad and Fred Lewis one day went to visit a home in Sulphur Springs, the Arrington's house. The family had visited our church, and they were going to talk to them about joining the church. And while there, one of their sons, Brian probably 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, my dad and Fred said to him, Brian, do you think you've ever received Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And he started, they started asking about that and explained how to be saved. And, and Brian said, no, I've never done that, but I need to do that. And so as a young man, Brian Arrington got saved. 
Fast forward, Brian is one year younger than I am. Several weeks ago, Brian got COVID-19. COVID has surprisingly been very bad back in that East Texas town. And he got COVID. He began to have some complications. You wouldn't expect at 50 and otherwise good health that COVID's probably going to be anything worse than you lose your taste or smell or maybe it's a mild cold. It's really probably not that big a deal, you think, because after all, most people who get it don't have a problem with it. He was in the category, you know, no big deal. Well, it became a big deal. His oxygen levels began to drop, and he was taken to the emergency room and all the stuff. And unthinkably, about a week and a half ago, Brian Arrington died, 50 years of age. Well, Fred Lewis was talking to Brian's family before the funeral, and Brian's brother, who interestingly enough now is a pastor in the hill country, Brian's brother said to Fred, he said, Fred, it's been a long time. You may not even remember, but do you remember that time when you and Dr. Redmond came and you visited my family and in the course of that visit, you talked to my brother about getting saved and and Brian prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart. Do you remember that? Fred said, you know, it has been a long time, but I do remember that. And Brian's brother said, you know, Fred, as it is right now, that's the only thing that matters. He said, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that my brother is in heaven with Jesus. And I just want to thank you for making that visit. Last Saturday, Fred Lewis called my dad and told him that story. He said, Charles, do you remember that visit we made? Yeah, I remember that visit we made. He told him that story. Fred had his retirement service last Sunday at First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs. So my dad and he are talking the day before the retirement service. Here's what my dad said to him, and I thought it was good. He said, you know, Fred, I don't think it's coincidental or ironic that this close to your retirement service, your last week on staff of that church after 40 years of ministry, that Brian's brother said to you, Fred, what you did 35 years ago matters. Because dad said this, he said, Fred, actually... That was God speaking to you through Brian's brother, saying to you, what you have done for all these years matters. You know, all of us, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a plant worker, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a student, a staff member on a church, you know, I think all of us sometimes wonder, is what I'm doing, does it even matter? Let me tell you something, friend. If you have spent your life endeavoring to keep the great commandment, keeping the golden rule, and following the great commission, one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and as he does a review of your life, you know what he's going to say to you? He's going to say, what you did on earth mattered. Flip the coin, to be totally honest, and not just preach half of it, I'm afraid that there are going to be a lot of Christians on that day stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to do a review of their lives. Jesus, ultimate truth, and yet consummate tenderness and love. I'm afraid Jesus will look at many Christians and say, Well, the good news is you're saved. 
There was a time in your life when you repented of your sins and you asked me to save me and you trusted me to save me. And I'm so glad you did that because now we're going to be together in heaven forever. And it's going to be wonderful. And that's the good news. But the bad news is, and I want to say this tenderly because he's Jesus and everything's tender but everything's true. Jesus will say, as I look back over your life in review, I'm so glad you were saved. I'm so glad you're here with me forever. But as I look back over your life, what you did on earth really didn't matter. It was all about bank accounts and boats and ball games and making a name for yourself and doing what you wanted to do no matter what anybody else wanted to do. And it really wasn't committed to to loving me supremely and, and, it, and it really wasn't committed to doing everything within your power to tell as many people as you could about Jesus and so I'm so glad you're saved I'm so glad you're here but as I do your life in review it wasn't what it could have been and so in heaven you're not going to get to do all the things you could have done but it's still going to be wonderful because we're still together but if our Assignments up there are based on our faithfulness or lack thereof down here. Do you see why I said at the beginning? That thinking often of heaven changes everything about how we live our lives. Now, before I stop, I'm seeing everybody out here depressed and down and in the dumps. When I look at my life in review, I, I come up to the same conclusion as you do. I say, well, you know, if I'm honest... I've not always kept the, the great commandment. I've not always loved God more than everything else. I mean, I've had idols by different names. I've not always kept the golden rule. There have been plenty of times in my life where I was just first-class selfish, belligerent, hard-headed, and it's all about me. So I could say, I, I didn't keep the golden rule. Of that. And there have been other times in my life say, you know what, God? I had opportunities to share with others how to be saved. For whatever reason, I didn't do it. You know the good news of God? The good news is, He is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, a thousand chances and new beginnings. If that makes you happy, say amen. You know what God says to us today on this, on this first Sunday in February? God says, hey, even if you haven't been all that you wish you would have been up until now, and none of us have, I haven't, none of us have. God says, draw a line in the sand. Let today be a new beginning. And as you leave here today, leave with a fresh, not just desire, but commitment that from this day forward, your life is about the great commandment, loving God more than anybody or anything else. It's about the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's about the great commission, telling everybody you can about the life, death, resurrection, and salvation that we can find in Jesus Christ. And if we'll do that, one day we'll stand before Jesus in review, and he'll say, you know, that service you went to in Pasadena on that that first Sunday in, in, in February, and, and you made that fresh commitment. You say, yeah, but John, how about all the years that I've lost in the past? Remember the story Jesus said about the man who didn't go to work till 11 o'clock in the evening, and yet he got paid the same amount of money as the people who started at 6 o'clock in the morning? 
Jesus said the first should be last and the last should be first. And so Jesus is not going to punish you for what you've not done up to this point. He will forgive us for where we've failed. He'll give us a new beginning. And he will judge us in heaven from this day forward. Listen, if you'll deal with whatever's not been right in the past, when you stand for Jesus in judgment, he's not going to judge you for that. He's going to judge you from this day forward. And if this day forward, it's all about the great commandment, the golden rule, and the great commission, he's going to say to you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the little things, and I'm going to give you responsibilities now forever in heaven. Welcome to heaven. Welcome to my cabinet. You're going to rule and reign with me for all eternity. Amen.